Colossians 4, 2 through 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning to make much of who you are. Father, you are creator and sustainer of all that is good and beautiful and true. Creation takes its magnificence from you, its beauty, its design, its intricacy are all reflection of your love and your creativity. Father, you are sovereign over heaven and earth. The earth turns in its orbits. The sun and moon and stars are held in place by the word of your mouth. All things are for you and bring you glory. Father, we confess that we, through the lenses of our sinfulness, we do not appreciate your beauty. We do not understand your ways. And often we shake our tiny fists at heaven, demanding that you act the way we want you to act, the way we think you deserve to treat us. But Father, if we, we confess that if we received what we deserved, we would cry out in agony. Father, we confess that you are our only hope in life and death. You are what we need. You are the source that is of all that is good and true and beautiful. Everything that we have, every blessing, every joy, every taste, every uh, beautiful thing that we lay our eyes on is a gift from you. Father, the greatest gift that we have is the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. For in Christ, our greatest need has been settled. Our need of fellowship with God, that our sin had torn asunder, that Christ's cross bridges the gap and brings us back into your presence, not by what we have done, but by what Christ has done. And we give thanks to you. Our heart overflows with gratitude and humility because you did not give us what we deserve, but you gave us Christ. Father, as we come to you today, we lift up the requests, the worries for our brothers and sisters that worry about their next paycheck from government, politics, to lack of employment, to underemployment to financial needs and woes that have been thrust upon them. Lord, I pray that you would provide their needs. You have taken care of their greatest need, and Father, we trust that the lesser needs, our daily bread, is found in you. You can provide. You know what we need, when we need it, and the amount that we need. 
Father, I pray also for our congregation that we would desire Christ. As we set our sights on goals in 2019 and uh, resolutions that many have already been broken, Father, I pray that we would have a passion and desire to know Christ and that we would seek it with all our heart to know him and to be like him and to proclaim his goodness to our hearts when it is fearful and worrisome and to our neighbor who does not know Christ. Father, inhabit the praises of your people, we pray today, that we may be satisfied in you and you may be glorified in us. In the name that is above all names, Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. In Tim Keller's book, uh, Prayer, he tells the story, uh, the struggle of the great um, writer Flannery O'Connor. When she was 21 years old, she was struggling and learning how to write in Iowa, and she sought to deepen her prayer life. She had to. Because she was dis- discouraged by her in her writing, she was struggling with mediocrity, and she was overflowing with raw emotions. Therefore, she did the only thing that she knew that she could do. She prayed. She wrote these words. Dear God, I cannot love thee the way I want to. You are the slim crescent of a moon that I see, I apologize, um, that I see in myself is the earth's shadow that keeps me from seeing the moon. When I am afraid, uh, what, when I am afraid, dear God, is that myself and my selfish shadow will grow so large that it blocks the whole moon and that I will judge myself by the shadow that is nothing. I do not know you, God, because I am in the way. Have you ever felt Ocean Park like Flannery O'Connor? You know your needs, you know your struggles, you know your inabilities. You long for the presence and the power and for the wisdom of God, but you can't seem to get out of the way. If you have felt that way, uh, I know I have felt that way. And this is why the text this morning, just three verses, is such an encouragement to us this morning. Because up to this point, Paul, in all of Colossians 1 through 3, has laid the groundwork of how the life of Christ transforms the people of Christ. He says in Colossians chapter 3 especially to put to death the flesh and put on the life of Christ. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and let the Word of God dwell amongst the people of God. He says the gospel, the life of Christ that has caused us to be born again is injected into our marriages and our family and our lives and our work and it brings even the most mundane of things the glory of God. But I don't know about you when I'm honest about myself. As I read through those things, I'm both encouraged and I'm also discouraged and I'm filled with dread 
I'm encouraged because I know that even the most mundane things in my life are used for the glory of Christ. But I'm filled with dread because even the most mundane things of my life are used for the glory of Christ. And it's one and the same because I know my weaknesses and I know that myself keeps getting in the way. I want to live for the glory of Christ, but I keep making a mess of it. And I think of my thoughts and I'm appalled in my, of my motivations and I realize I don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do and it's a constant struggle. But how in the midst of this pulling and encouragement and dread, do we bring glory to Christ and reflect His life in all that we do? The answer Paul gives is prayer. The problem is that most, and I think many people, their prayer life looks more like a child's wish list for Santa rather than awe and intimacy with God. And this is why Ocean Park, Colossians 2, or 4, 2 through 4, is so important, because it teaches us the simple truth that a life that is devoted to Christ's glory is a life that is devoted to prayer. A life that is devoted to Christ's glory is a life that's devoted to prayer. It was Scottish pastor uh, Robert Murray McShay who famously said this, when a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. What a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. If I ask you the question and turn you the question now, how are you on your knees before God? Do you seek awe and intimacy with God that comes and that brings forth a life that brings glory to Christ? Or do you go to God with an open hand looking for a handout and getting what you deserve from the man upstairs? Do you even pray? Are you pursuing the satisfaction that comes from with, when Christ is glorified in your life? Or are you too consumed and focused on your own needs and your own wants that you demand things from God, and if he doesn't give you what you want, you cut him off and tell him you're angry with him. Do you even care about glorifying Christ in every aspect of your life? In Colossians, in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul calls gospel-loving people to devote themselves to prayer, not a, to the fleeting security of earthly things, but prayer that, it, that seeks the eternal satisfaction from knowing Christ. And so when Paul tells us to devote ourselves to prayer, he gives two parameters that he wants the people to pray for. He says the first thing in verse 2 is to pray for gospel devotion. Pray for gospel devotion. And then the second thing he gives us is pray for the gospel's promotion. Pray for the gospel's promotion. 
Genuine prayer, brothers and sisters, is a conversation and an encounter with the Almighty God. An encounter that transforms and conforms the petitioner according to the will of God and transforms them into the likeness of Christ. Prayer is not a laundry list of wants and pains and wishes and demands, but it is a desire to know God and to enjoy His presence. Such prayer begins with gospel devotion in verse 2. Notice the very few words, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. In the 1940s, the United States never intended to enter World War II. That is, before the Japanese attacked us in Pearl Harbor, and after the attack, we were not prepared. See, after the attack, the War Department hastily assembled boys from farms and factories. They put a gun in their hands, and they sent them to places that they had never heard of. Specifically, the first place the Allied forces with the United States attacked was North Africa. And it was quite possibly the greatest defeat in American World War II history. They were roundly defeated and humiliated because the soldiers were ill-trained, they were ill-equipped, and they were ill-led. Yet all hope was not lost. For those of you who know the rest of the story of World War II, for even their enemies, the German field marshal, the Desert Fox, Erwin Rommel, said he never had seen tr so, troops so badly prepared but learn so quickly. See, the U.S. troops didn't find success until they learned to properly prepare to fight. Ocean Park when we talk about prayer, when we talk about glorifying Christ, when we talk about seeking Christ, know this, prayer does not come naturally to sinful people. How many times have you sat down and said, I am going to pray today? And you get maybe halfway through the Lord's Prayer and you find yourself distracted by random thoughts. Or you start to think about your upcoming to-do list or even wake up realizing that you had just fallen asleep during prayer. Prayer requires discipline and it requires devotion. Yet it's the spiritual struggle that a man and a woman go to and when they go to their knees desiring Christ, is it there when they experience the presence of God and it is there in the struggle that they are conformed to the will of God and transformed to the likeness of Christ. Ocean Park, I ask you this morning, if you desire to glorify Christ in your life, you will devote yourself to prayer. You'll devote yourself to prayer habitually. You will say, realize that steadfast prayer pr promotes uh, spiritual fortitude to face temptation. You will never, ever, ever be prepared for the wiles of the devil unless you are disciplined before the temptation comes. Overcoming temptation is not found in one quick prayer or one ABC, one, two, three, can formula. Preparation for the temptation 
is formed one day and one prayer at a time. Just like learning a language or running a marathon or losing weight takes struggle and it takes focus and it takes discipline, glorifying Christ in all things requires discipline and determination. For discipline and determination brings you and keeps you on your knees. When you're tired, when you're distracted, when you're frustrated, when you don't know how to think and you're worried, it's the devotion that says, I want to know Christ and I want to glorify Christ and I want to have communion with Christ. Therefore, I will seek Him in prayer. Paul uses the word here, steadfast. Some of you have the ESV. It's the word steadfast. If you have an NIV or an NIS, it's it's, uh, uh, devote yourself. And it carries this idea of a duration and continued readiness. Um, in Matthew, or Mark chapter 3, that same word pops up. And he said, and Jesus told his disciples to have a boat ready. Have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. It's the same word as continue steadfast. And then later on, the, the verse, uh, Acts 2.42, you heard me quote it many times because that's the uh, verse that I built my ministry on. It says, in the New American Standard, I like it a little bit more. Steve will be happy about that. And they continually devoted themselves. This is an ongoing, habitual pattern of determination and discipline. And what did they devote themselves continually towards? The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Paul is warning them that the dangers of spiritual lethargy will overtake you and overtake them if they're not careful and they're not determined and they're not disciplined. Glorifying Christ in everything, in word or deed, does not happen arbitrarily. But it takes deliberate dedication of seeking Christ and seeking relationship. And that begins by seeking intimacy with God through prayer. How would you, Ocean Park, describe your prayer life? Is it steadfast? Or is it sporadic? Is it habitual or is it haphazard? Is it continual or is it occasional? Shane Waters, the pastor over at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, um, famously says this, and and, and I quote, the amount you prayed yesterday was the amount that you needed God. It's humbling, isn't it? When uh, we sang this morning, Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Was that true yesterday? Did the time that you invest in prayer, in the priority you gave to prayer, did that support your song of prayer this, this morning? Prayer, brothers and sisters, is of vital importance because what prayer does, it aligns our heart with God. God knows what we need when we need it. But when we make prayer a priority, 
when we wake, before we work, after we eat, uh, uh, at the end of the day, we are saying the Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my provider. The Lord is my only hope in life and death. And what we do is we align our heart with the heart of God. J.I. Packer in uh, a book of essays wrote this. He says, the goal of Christian prayer is not to manipulate God into doing our will. Despite what all the people on the heresy channel say, pray powerful prayers, ABC, and you get what you want. That's rubbish. And if I wasn't a preacher, I would use more colorful language. Not that you would know any of those words. The goal of Christian prayer is not to manipulate God into doing our will, but to further us in doing what? His will. In our own lives as in much as everywhere else. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in our life, in my heart, as it is in heaven. When we come to the Father in prayer, we do not come with open hands demanding our fair share, but we bring the broken pieces of our life to our Father and we seek His compassion and His wisdom to make us whole. In prayer, the Father shapes our will. He calibrates our mind. He reorders and redirects our emotions that overwhelm us. He stokes the fires of our desire for Him. Christian Park, if we expect the glory of Christ to impact our lives and our world, we must devote ourselves to habitual, steadfast prayer. For habitual prayer is not sporadic, but steadfast. As we uh, pray for gospel devotion, we also pray with, per, for, with perseverance. Paul continues in verse 2, being watchful in, all, in it with thanksgiving. Remember that when you hear the word watchful in context of Scripture, what do you think of? I immediately went to, and I think this is where Paul went to, is he went to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus brought, left the upper room and he brought his closest companions, Peter, James, and John, and he brought them to the garden and he said these words of Matthew 26, 41. Watch. Same word Paul uses. Watch and pray that you may not enter in temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Three times Jesus urged his his close friends to find what they needed in their source of strength and to align their heart with the priorities of God. And three times in the darkest of hours of Jesus when blood rolled down His face as, as sweat and He came back and where did He find His disciples? Sleeping. Not praying. It is no wonder that the disciples just a few hours later all scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And then when Peter stood around the fire warming himself, denied Jesus three times. For he did not persevere in prayer knowing that his flesh was weak. Failure to pray had left the disciples, and it leaves us often without defense against the attack, attacks of Satan, who is far overmatches us. 
And when Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 4, verse 2, he echoes the words of Jesus and to how they can live in light of the return of their king. That king is coming. And they are called to be watchful and mindful to align themselves with the priorities of Jesus. Because prayerlessness would leave, will leave them vulnerable to the philosophies, philosophies of this world that often creep into our hearts and our lives and our minds like carbon monoxide gas without odor and without taste and without destruction, and they kill us. Prayerlessness leads us vulnerable to those philosophies like a, shepherd, a sheep without a shepherd. Prayerlessness also robs us of thanksgiving. When we pray, and we go through, as I often suggest, go through the word acts. Adoration, confession, what's next? Thanksgiving. And then supplications, or aka your request. But when we come and we think of what God has done for us, the greatness, in the, and you, you remember, and you meditate, and you remind yourself, and you, you sing sometimes in prayer, and you remind yourselves of that you possess an inheritance in Christ, that you are rooted and built up in Christ, that you have the peace of Christ which resides in the body of Christ, that every aspect of your life can be used for the glory of Christ, you are overwhelmed often with thanksgiving. And when you are thankful and you're filled with the mindset of thanks, that is one of the greatest deterrent against the, the lies of the devil, the blue sky promises that say, that offer this, but you can say, I can tell you I have Jesus and I am thankful for that. When we truly appreciate the fact that we belong to Jesus, that we are dead to the world and to its powers, and we are alive to Christ our King, all our sins, as we sang this morning, had been thrown into an ocean without bottom or shore, that we are destined for eternal glory with Christ. Thanksgiving overflows. Prayer that is filled with thanksgiving is prayer that lifts up adoration. Adoration to a king eternal, and we think and we praise God for who he is, that he is loving and he is gracious and he is compassionate and he is a magnificent creator and he gives us good things and he is a good father. I could go on and on and on. We confess our sin, how we have fallen desperately short how we wander uh, like sheep we have gone astray we're prone to wander as the, the hymn writer says but then we also not only confess the negative but we confess the positive that God is good and righteous and faithful and forgiving and he's a God who rescues his people and we confess I need you every hour I need you we confess that he is our righteousness we confess that he is our joy we confess that he is our peace and we give him thanks. If all the worlds and all of creation were a um, parchment, it would be too small to write of the goodness and the greatness of our God. And we lift up our supplication to the God who delights to receive our prayers and says, cast all your cares on me, for I care for you. 
that fills our hearts with thanksgiving and deters us from the empty, saccharine lies of the devil. Ocean Park, it's easy to be slothful in prayer. Time and time again, we're tempted to forsake uh, uh, prayer for the tyranny of the urgent, for the weakness of our flesh, for our desires for earthly comfort, for the vain pursuits of prideful agenda. We cannot succumb to the weight of prayerlessness. Because prayerlessness leads to complacency and it leads to compromise. It leads to forgetfulness and it leads to ingratitude, which brings shame and dishonor to Christ. We must anchor ourselves to the rock of Jesus Christ through prayer and cling to that rock. If we do not, our life will drift from the rock into complacency and compromise. And our hearts will slowly grow cold and listless like a charcoal that is removed from the fire. It once burned bright and now it is cold. Ocean Park, do you pray habitually so that you are conformed to the will of God and transformed to the likeness of Christ? Are you devoting yourself to watchful perseverance, knowing that your King is returning? Are you preparing yourself to stand before the Lord your God, who will bring glory to Himself through your life, through the things that you say? This is meaningless. Brothers and sisters, when we belong to Jesus, there is nothing that is meaningless. There is nothing that is below the servants of God. Everything can be redeemed for the glory of Christ when we're faithful to bathe ourselves in prayer and seek awe and intimacy with God rather than holding on the burdens that overwhelm us. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Ocean Park, may we remember this morning that a life that is devoted to Christ's glory is a life that is devoted to prayer. We pray for the gospel devotion in our life, and we seek to discipline ourselves to seek awe and intimacy with God, but we also pray for gospel promotion. When you live for the glory of Christ, you no longer live for yourself, for it is the gospel that tells you you are not your own, but you have been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body, in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus Christ. When you belong to Christ, you live for His glory. Your focus in prayer is not your inward self, but it's outward and it's upward. The earnest prayer of the believer is that the name of Christ would be hallowed. We pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, what? Hallowed be thy name. And it's the desire of the believers that the world would hallow the name of God, revere and reverence the name of God the way it deserves to be. 
And we pray when we come to the Lord in prayer. We don't simply pray for our needs, our daily bread, but first and foremost, we pray for the greatness and the glory of our Heavenly Father. So it's this end that Paul writes to the Colossians believers, and he says, pray also for us. He's asking that the body of Christ go to the throne of grace on his behalf so they can be faithful to proclaim the good news of the gospel. He prays, and he he asks the Colossians, pray for opportunities for us, Paul, Timothy, Epaphras, Tychicus, all of them for opportunities with the gospel. Notice verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the world to declare the mystery of Christ and the count of which I am in prison. When Paul wrote these words, he was confined to a small uh, room in Rome that he had probably most likely rented, but in that room, he was chained to a Roman guard. The very gospel that had brought him to his shackles was the gospel he was praying for, opportunities for doors to be opened that he could glorify Christ even in his chains to promote the gospel that had brought him there. Because he realized his temporal, his temporary earthly circumstances were not worth comparing to the weight of glory of Christ. It's the same words that in Acts 14, when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had noticed, opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Paul knows without the work of the Spirit, preaching the gospel only will meet with apathy and opposition. For when the Spirit of God, but only the Spirit of God has power to open hearts and open minds to believe in the gospel and put our faith in Him. So Paul prays, it's his duty and his delight to open doors so that the mystery of the gospel for the mystery of Christ would be known. He says, pray that the Lord would use him and his co-workers to preach Christ risen or crucified, risen and coming again. Paul has a passion and a desire that the glory of Christ would be known, who Christ is and what he has done. He prays not only for opportunities, but he prays for boldness. Notice verse 4 that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul prays that he would not squander those opportunities that he has been given. Paul has been given a mission, and he writes in um, Ephesians chapter 6, to that end, keep alert, writing to the, the believers in Ephesus like he was writing to the believers in Colossae. Keep alert with all perseverance and make supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth. Notice how he says, boldly, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. The same verbiage he writes to the Colossians, for which I am an ambassador in chains. That very room that he wrote to to Colossae, he wrote to the believers in Ephesus, that I may declare it boldly and without compromise 
without hesitation, that he may not squander the opportunities the Lord has laid out in front of him as I ought to speak. The chains that bind Paul are not a deterrent to evangelism, but they are a reminder that the gospel speaks boldly and inevitably will meet with opposition and with offense. But he could not be silent. And brothers and sisters, we cannot be silent either. We must pray not simply that the Lord would save the lost. We should pray that. But we also pray, Lord, give me opportunities. Give me doors. Open means to be able to share the mystery of Christ. Just as Daniel proclaimed the mysteries of God, he was given the power of the Spirit to understand and proclaim to the King. We have been gifted the Gospel by the Spirit to proclaim and to make Christ known. And we must pray for those opportunities and we must boldly take those opportunities when they arrive because we don't always know when they're coming and when we do, we need to swing for the fences and trust the Spirit. Let me ask you this, Ocean Park. Are you praying for the proclamation of the Gospel? Do, there is no direct correlation because there's not the, apostles, the office of the Apostles any longer. They, uh, when the, uh, the Apostles died, that office was closed, and now you have the teachers of the Gospel, which are elders and pastors. Let me ask you this. Do you pray for me? each week as I prepare my sermon that I would boldly proclaim the mystery of Christ. Because it's very easy not to proclaim the mystery of Christ, but proclaim something I know that you want rather than the offensiveness of the Gospel. Are you praying for the lost that come and join us in worships on Sundays that they would hear the Gospel and that they would trust in the grace of God and put their faith in His promises? Are you praying on a consistent basis for missionaries like Mike and Bonnie Snyder in Haiti that they, the Lord would open doors and opportunities for them to declare the mysteries of the Gospel to the people of Bercy, Haiti? Are you praying also for your own opportunities to, to, to um, share the mystery of Christ? at your work, at your kid's soccer practice or football practice? Are you at, um, sh- uh, praying that you could share Christ at a birthday party or a social gathering? Do you want Ocean Park to grow? Do you want the kingdom of God to grow? By people putting their faith in Christ. If so, you must be praying that the Spirit of God would open doors and that you would boldly proclaim the mystery of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen and coming again. Because I'll tell you this, if you don't pray for opportunities and pray for boldness, you won't even see the opportunities to share Christ. 
You see, again, when we pray, we're aligning our heart with God and we say, Lord, give me opportunities and give me boldness. We're praying that on a consistent basis. So when opportunities come, we have boldness and we recognize those things because we're not so consumed with our own agenda and our needs, but we say, not our will, but yours be done. And when we're considering that and thinking of, how can I share Jesus today? How can I share Jesus today? When somebody mentions something about Jesus, we can do that. Just this week, I, I was reading a book on prayer, preparing for this. And the girl said to me, I'll probably need you to pray for me because I start school next week. And we talked and I said, before you go, let me pray for you. And those opportunities are what we need to get and hold on to. We don't know. I didn't go to break down God, man, Jesus' response. But believe me, I had God, man, Jesus' response in my prayer for her. And she accepted it, and she gladly accepted it. She asked me to pray for her. And that was a door, and I, I, like a running back for the goal line, I went right through it. Brothers and sisters, I want you to do the same. I want you to pray. Lord, give me opportunities. Give me doors that I can share Jesus with. Because I tell you this, if you do not delib deliberately share, set your mind on open doors and boldness, prayerlessness will, will make you so preoccupied with your agenda that you won't even recognize a door. When prayerlessness allows your pride to grow unchecked as your heart begins to desire the things of the flesh, not the things of the Spirit. Prayerlessness allows you to set your mind on the things of earth, not the things that which are above where Christ is. Ocean Park, if we are to live for the glory of Christ, we must set our mind on knowing and making Christ known. For a lot, because a life that is devoted to Christ's glory is a life that is devoted to to prayer. When Flannery O'Connor wrote the words, when I am afraid of, what I am afraid of, dear God, is that my self-shadow will grow so large that it blocks the whole moon and that I will judge myself by the shadow, which is nothing. She recognized that living well depended on reordering our loves. Prayer is the gift of God which he uses to reorder our hearts and to change our desires, and to fix our heart on Him, knowing Him and making Him known. To those of you this morning who are not believers in Christ, you may say, I have no idea how I should pray, but I've never thought about how I should pray before. But I begin to think, how do I do that? I don't know where to start. It starts by realizing that you are not living for God, but you are living for your glory, and that does not satisfy you. Tell the Lord that. And then you realize, as you have never realized before, that you need the Lord. This is a, a new sensory that you've never had before, a spiritual sense that says, I am lost. I am blind. And I need Christ. Jesus says this, repent and believe. Repent of living on your own and living for yourself. Turn for, from your idols and your functional saviors. Repent of those things and believe and turn to Christ and say, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I want to follow you because my way has led me into destruction and I realize that the only way that leads me to the Father is through Jesus, his perfect life, 
his perfect righteousness and his substitutionary death where he took my place. And I put my faith in him and I follow him. If you are thinking that and, and, and thinking about prayer and thinking about your need for God, it would be my privilege to, sh- to tell you what it means to put your faith in Christ, to repent and believe and follow him. To the believer this morning, you know your need of Jesus. You know your inadequacies. You know your shortcomings. And you know your delusions of grandeur. I encourage you to be deliberate every day, to set aside a time to be able to read God's Word. And not just read God's Word to get knowledge, but to read it in such a way that you can go back and pray it. Pray it as adoration for what it reveals about God. Pray it as confession, what what it reveals about your need and the righteousness of God. Pray it as thanksgiving to God uh, for what He has done. Pray it as a request. Start with the Lord's Prayer. Start start with, there's 150 Psalms. Start with the prayers of the righteous people that are recorded in Scripture. And if you want to know where they are, it would be my joy to help you find those prayers. Pray the prayers that are recorded in Scripture. Adoration, praising God for who He is. Confession, making both your sin know and confessing your sin and confessing God's goodness. And thanksgiving, thanking God for his gifts, his provision, and his sustaining grace. And then supplication, make your request known to God because he cares for you. You'll find that a daily habit of setting aside a time that is reserved, that your to-do list can wait, the kids can wait, your spouse can wait. This is my time with Jesus, whether it be in the morning, lunch, or in the evening, devote that time to knowing Christ and seeking Christ, praying for so that you would uh, have awe and intimacy with his presence, that you may glorify Christ in every aspect of your life by devoting yourself to prayer.